Welcome to Ocean Stories, a podcast hosted by me, Lydia Carey, and me, Sarah Hurstbing. We may not be marine experts or even professional scuba divers, but we are curious about the ocean and ways to protect it. Every week, we chat with conservationists, researchers, business owners, and anyone else with an ocean story to tell. So whether you're a scientist or someone who's simply curious about the big blue, you're in the right spot. We can't save the seas alone, but we can do it together. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. We actually <laughs> lied up? last week. We lied. We said we would never record from two different places. Well, this is the last we time. We did Lydia. lie. Lydia's moving tomorrow. I'm beyond I excited. Am. It feels like a blind date. We're about to unite for the first time. We'll have to film it. Your mom has to film us running um, towards each nervous. other for the first time. Like when people film you opening presents and stuff, I hate that. It makes me yeah. feel even more awkward. You're like, like, I don't yeah. want anyone to film <laughs> me, my reaction. It just makes me feel weird. Well, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, crazy, crazy things happening. This episode that you are about to listen to is actually the very first episode we ever recorded. It's been like, it I don't is. even know how many months. I think it was September that we actually recorded this. Is that true? Yeah, and it's wow. crazy. No, 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 not September. It had to be October, but it was okay. definitely the first one that we ever, ever recorded. I had just moved back to the US. That's insane. It, it was just a crazy time. Like, we were so nervous. We were We were so out. all over the place. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Our friend Kayla is the interviewee. It's going to be really cool. But yeah, so crazy. We came such a long way. Listening back to this, I know we said this before, but I literally don't even know who that person is. It's cr- like who Lydia and I are. It's like so absurd how different everything is now. But yeah, yeah so I feel like I'm repeating myself too, but you think that it's going to be so easy. Like you think, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, turn the camera on and just have a conversation. And then I learned about myself that I remember in those days, like it would take me like seven times to record the intro because I was so nervous just I know, from being crazy. recorded and just from knowing I was being recorded, which is crazy because I, I love to chat and I love to talk. So <laughs> it's just, it is crazy how far we've come in. It's only totally. up from here. We always say that, but it's like true. I don't know. Well, things are things are happening. I just came back from Hawaii, from Kauai. It was actually the absolute paradise. It was so crazy. But it reminded me a lot of a lot of episodes that we recorded before. And so funny because um I don't know if you've seen the most recent Instagram video that Lydia uploaded about the turtle sanctuary or the turtle hospital. Um, mm-hmm. But while we were surfing, well, not technically me, I was surfing kind of like in the bay, very like close to the beach. But two of my friends were all the way out, like literally in Kauai, you surf out in the open ocean. It's like scary. But um, there was a tiger shark eating a turtle out in the lineup, more or less, Wait, like stop. a little bit. Wait, yes. My heart just stopped. Yes. Are you serious? Was- like you saw it? I didn't see it, no, 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 but my friends that were out surfing, like, the people in the lineup chatted about it because it was really close to the lineup. Um, was the turtle surviving or was was the turtle not I don't think it was it? surviving. I don't know. I don't have that many information. It was more like, hey, just be aware that there's a tiger shark eating a turtle out there for the surfers. That's all the info. That's but it was crazy. funny because now you, now you uploaded the video, and I was like, yeah, I guess that happened a couple of days ago, more or less in front of my eyes. 
Um, I mean, I said it in the video, but I genuinely was looking at these turtles. Like, one of them, both of their front flippers are completely gone. And I was like, they're re- rehabilitating this turtle to go back into the ocean after this poor girl. First of all, it was, like, almost 300 pounds. And I just did not realize that turtles were that heavy. But on top of that, I was like, this poor girl has, has faced to go back. insane the- things in her life, survived, and now has to go back into the ocean. Like, good luck, Charlie. The I don't know. PTSD this little turtle must have when it sees the open ocean again the next time. One other thing that was crazy in Hawaii. I mean, it just, maybe this this is like completely wrong, but we were thinking, this reminded me of the episode with Stream to Sea. Because we were thinking we could snorkel pretty much everywhere and it would be the craziest, luscious environment and there would be just fish <laughs> swimming around and it would be like the zoo underwater. And it was really hard to find good snorkeling spots. Like it was really hard to see something. And then I was like, oh no, is this kind of what Mike talked about? Because he said like he brought his daughters back and there was no fish, even though when he grew up, you couldn't even walk in the water because the fish would bump into you. Maybe it's like coincidence, maybe that's not even that related, but I was just thinking about this 24 seven. Um, I also made everyone wear a stream to see all day long. I was like, which sunscreen are you using? But honestly, um, even in the surf shops everywhere, there's only mineral sunscreens. I only saw mineral sunscreens in Hawaii. So it seems like they really have it together. Um, if you're traveling to Hawaii or anywhere with anywhere, if you step foot in the ocean. Anywhere, yeah. Anywhere. <laughs> yeah use sunscreen that's not toxic to you or the environment because yeah otherwise there's not going to be any fish left and it was scary and shocking and I thought we would see like literally an aquarium underwater and that did not really happen um so yeah that reminded me Whoa, did you which, see any other notable wildlife while you were there? I did not really see anything else to be my friends saw turtles I didn't um did we see anything else? No, I think we didn't really see. I mean, we went snorkeling a few times and then actually saw some fish, but nothing crazy, I think. Maybe I'm forgetting something gotcha. right now. Um, but something I learned yesterday, and I am in utter shock, and I don't know how I'll ever recover from this, is did you know that Portugal, Thailand, and I believe Spain, or Spain is about to, banned peeing in the ocean and you can get a seven or eight hundred euro fine if you pee in the ocean no i did That's, not know that that is what i looked at i watched Spain, like, my portugal and where in thailand thailand okay um, why i was so confused i was watching my favorite surfers tiktok and she said like oh yeah we surfers always pee in the ocean and we always pee in our wetsuits even when we're in Portugal, where it's illegal. And I was like, right away, I was like, what are we talking about? Why would would it be illegal? And how do you enforce that? Like, who checks if you're peeing right now? Um, but it turns out that a lot, like a high concentration of human pee in the water actually is really bad for wildlife and is really bad for coral because it's like so acidic that the coral is dying because too many people are peeing in the water. I'm shocked. That's I was wild. literally like, I was just like, I did not know because I always thought it was like so fine to be the water. I guess it makes sense if there's like crazy touristy hotspots where there's like thousands of visitors, which happens in Europe a lot, and they all pee in the water. And then the, the poor animals. Oh my God. 
I hate it. That's I'm like crazy that they made it illegal. I'm gonna Google that later. I don't know why that reminds me of something really funny. When I first moved to Spain, I don't remember how I knew this woman. She was like an abuela. And she told me something like, oh, have you like gone on any dates? Like, have you met any, you know, Spanish men, whatever? And I was like, no, I just got here. Like, I'm just a little, little sprite. And she told me like, be careful because all the men here pee on the streets. And I was like, that is such a weird thing to say. You're obviously just a strange old woman, you know, thanks for the advice. But men here, like, are not going to pee on the street. Like, I, I just, it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, older yeah. person, like, with, with weird beliefs. And genuinely, it was the truest thing. People pee <sighs> everywhere in Spain. I don't know if it's true about in other places in Europe, but seriously, on first dates, first dates, this is a first impression. Uh, sorry like give me one second and the man will go this happened to me twice we'll go like just somewhere once was on the beach to be fair and go pee like on the street i'm sorry what like what that is, that is not acceptable <laughs> it's disturbing it's so disturbing so to combat it they have these because where i was there's like these neighborhood parties and town parties and stuff to combat it they have these urinals like public like freestanding out open air urinals that have like six slots oh yeah yeah, yeah. all around you know what i'm talking about for Mm -hmm. people to pee and i'm like mate what you're talking about made me think maybe they could put one of those at the beach but this is just a random thing that just made me think of that woman who told me like careful because the men like to pee and i was like i was like you're full of doo-doo i don't know what you're talking about and it turned out to be really true and there's wow. certain plazas at the place i was in where it just smells awful and i i hated it so wow. <laughs> i don't know why that just reminded me of that damn okay that was a lot of pee talk how do we get Sorry. from the pee talk to the kelp talk well humans and the ocean it's all interconnected and exactly you might think something as simple as wearing sunscreen in the ocean or peeing in the ocean is not going to matter but it's like everything with the environment if one person like you have to question yourself and think if every single person ever did this thing that i'm doing would it be okay for the earth and it's true for peeing like if we all peed in the ocean it would kill all the coral reefs so no you can't do it but i don't know like peeing in the ocean is Anyways, I feel like it's fine in a lot of... Yeah. We, we'll do we'll some think more about research it and, we'll and we'll check in next Today's this episode. Week. Today's episode. Lydia, what's happening? Today, we're talking about career switches. We're talking about coral restoration and kelp monitoring with Kayla from Blue World. Kayla was and still is a software engineer, but she did a switcheroo and turned her career into all about the ocean. So now she's an ocean explorer and she's founded an ocean conservation nonprofit called Blue World. And Blue World is all about making educational ocean expeditions more accessible to people like her who they had maybe a different career and they wanna check out what is this marine bio ocean diving world all about? That's what Blue World does. They're making those expeditions more accessible. So it's really exciting. Kayla also works to restore coral reefs with coral gardeners and monitors kelp forests, like I said. So she's just doing a bunch of stuff in the ocean space to get more people involved and protect our oceans. Our favorite type of person to talk to, conservation girly. Honestly. And yeah, she works a lot with kelp, which comes from the nature of where we are located. It's on. She is on Catalina Island, which is 
off the coast, like in the LA area. Um, there's a lot of kelp here. And we actually have something exciting happening. We are doing a joint fundraiser with Ocean Mimic, Ocean Stories, and Blue World to benefit the Kelp Forest Collective. Woo! Yay! So exciting. Yay. So, Blue World, yay! Yeah, it's amazing. Blue World is selling prints of ocean creatures, ocean prints. We will post them on our Instagram and more details about this there. But these prints are super cool ocean pictures and all of the money that you spend on these prints will go towards the kelp forest collective kelp is actually super important for the ocean it's like one of those like ugly animal things where it's one of those things that gets super underrated because who cares about kelp but then the existence of kelp and having healthy kelp is like super important to to like the ocean ecosystem so Check out the prints. If you decide to buy one, you will be supporting the fundraiser that will support the kelp forests on Catalina Island. The prints come in various sizes and you can get them in photo format or a canvas format. So it's a cutie gift for an ocean lover in your life and it goes to a really good cause. So we're super excited. Our first fundraiser with Yay. Kayla and yeah, let's bring her on. Whoa, welcome. Oh my god. Hey backdrop. Are you kidding? Hello, Kayla. <laughs> hey, I'm how so are you guys? to have you on the podcast. Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. So excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, Thank the palm you. tree in the background for people that are just listening. It <laughs> is a beautiful tropical looking background. Um, welcome. We are super excited today Thank to you. welcome Kayla to Ocean Stories Podcast. We need to know, where are you? Because the background is just stunning. <laughs> yeah, so I am actually currently on site with Coral Gardeners um, at their global headquarters in Maria in French Polynesia. So you can actually, for those listening, you can see the boat in the photo um, staying like two doors down from headquarters. And we have this beautiful waterfront property um, you can see all the mountains in the background and there's palm trees around it's pretty picturesque not a bad place to go for work wow that is fantastic that. yeah I cannot believe that that's your office right now like it will we'll post a photo of Kayla's backdrop right now onto our social platforms because that's unreal this is literally full-on paradise. French Polynesia literally tropical looking Wow. Okay. Super exciting. Were you working earlier today? Did I do I have that right? That you were doing some diving ocean work, literally in the past few hours? Or <laughs> yeah. So it's actually morning now. But last night the team went out to our nurseries. Um, so we've been growing corals in our nurseries for a year to like three years now, and some of the corals are becoming sexually mature. So we're watching for spawning. Um, so when a wow. coral spawns, it actually releases its eggs and sperm into the water column. And that's how those will then float down and root onto reefs. And it's one of the natural ways that reefs reproduce. So it's super exciting that we're actually growing corals that are doing this. Um, and it happens at night with the full moon cycle. So that's why we wow. started a little later this morning. Um, what? Because we Stop. were all out on the boat last night monitoring. <gasps> Wait, did you I actually mean, you can't make though? that up. Did it actually happen? Yeah, so we haven't seen it happen um but we're checking like you can actually check the polyps to see whether or not oh. the eggs are still there and 
yesterday the team saw them during the day um last night they didn't see eggs anymore so possibly we missed it possibly we were looking at the wrong corals um it's a really hard event to capture so That's we're going every crazy. night and we keep hoping wow. and we have our live stream so on youtube <gasps> if you guys go to coral gardeners um you can see the live stream of the camera that we have mounted in our nurseries and we've deployed red lights out there now so that we can actually monitor at night um so we've been watching that stream um we went out two nights ago as well because we thought we saw it happening and it was actually these like larval eels that were capturing the light they're like translucent um and so we thought that it was like little corals spawning um but it wasn't and so we're going to continue to monitor and hopefully we can get the shot <laughs> wow a lot incredible. going on that's crazy i it love is, it hearing looks like that. it's snowing right i think i've seen it on a video before and actually, Emma yeah. has seen it in re in real life before, and she always talks about it as like her favorite moment um, in the that's ocean. That's so cool. I'm like dying to see it. And the other thing that's possible because we're hoping that our nursery corals spawn is that it's not a full like complete reef. Obviously, there's not as many corals as would be on an entire coral reef. Um, so it's possible that if it does happen, that it won't be as big of an event as you would see naturally. Um, mm -hmm. So. You know, even if we're out there, it's possible that we miss it. Um, it's hard to capture, but hopefully we see it in the next couple of days. Damn, that's like so, it's like so magic in itself, but it's crazy that it's then also aligned with the full moon. I'm like- I was just about to say, yeah. I love hearing that these natural things, like you cannot make up the fact that coral are sexually releasing their, what you just said, on the full moon. And it's <laughs> crazy because we all, I mean, we really, there is such a wild energy on the full moon, and I've always thought that. But just to hear that the coral are also having a wild thing happen on the full moon just <laughs> is, is crazy. Yeah, I know. It's like, truly it's, magic. Yeah, like we are connected somehow wow. to the moon. For all those Damn. astrology naysayers, how did you get there? How are you sitting in your office <laughs> in French Polynesia, in the absolute most beautiful place ever, and you get to work there? Like, let's. Let's go back. Let's go all the way back to where it all started. Um, I was it, you know, during the pandemic okay. and lockdown, uh, watching a ton, ton of ocean documentaries. It was uh, one of the ways that I was passing the time and staying sane <laughs> while I was home alone in my apartment. Um, and I happened to watch this one called The Sharks of Lost Island which was shot in the Pitcairn Islands in the South Pacific. And it was Enrique Sala and his pristine seas expedition through National Geographic. They went out to document the pristine reefs that they assumed would be there. And it was, I mean, it was absolutely pristine. The amount of sharks, the amount of life on these reefs were insane. Um, but at the same time, that was juxtaposed with the um, terrestrial exploration that they were doing. So they would go on to these deserted islands like nobody has lived there I think ever or at least not in like decades um, and the people that were on land were still finding beaches full of trash um, mm -hmm. and so both of those things in that film kind of inspired me I was like I would love to be exploring these oceans like these people I would love to be doing work that could help protect the oceans as well um, and so that kind of kick-started it all I started doing some research at the time I was planning to move to California uh, so I was like obviously I'm going to become a scuba diver now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I was at the time also so, just doing some software engineering work um, on like with a company based out of Philadelphia. And I started looking around for different 
climate and ocean technologies. And I happened to find um, a really cool ocean mapping group called Bedrock. And so I was able to join that team and start building ocean technology while becoming a scuba diver and starting to launch Blue. Uh, so it all kind of like fell into place perfectly when I moved to the West Coast. And that I is not crazy. Back in two years. Wow. So, so just to understand, you did not go to school for anything ocean related, nor were you like really in the ocean scene before the lockdown. Like you, that's when it all happened or, or what did you do before? What did you go to college for? Yeah, that's exactly right. Actually, I went to college to study math and computer science. Um, originally, I was thinking I'd be a math teacher. And then I took some wow. computer science courses and I was like, oh, I like building things. Um, so I went into engineering and I did that for five, six years before I started doing some ocean tech work. Um, and yeah, so all of the marine biology work, all of the ocean conservation stuff, I'm completely self-taught. Uh, it's been definitely like a study of passion for me. I've There's a ton of awesome resources online, like free courses, um, a ton mm. of scientific articles and journals and things that you can read and um, work on. And I've also done a lot of volunteering abroad to do ocean conservation work and to learn how things like restoration are done um, and monitoring. So it's been <clears throat> pretty much a free time activity for me it's like a full-time hobby i call it um, wow but yeah so far i've learned a ton and spend a lot of time underwater which i love <laughs> that's it's so super inspiring fun. that you kind of switched to it rather i mean later in life sounds crazy you're in your 20s but that you did not go to school <laughs> and study marine biology and stuff but you still ended up yeah, i yeah. had a moment several times in my life where i'm like i need to go back to school i need to study biology or something and like start all over and it never really yeah. occurred to me that you could just get into the field without fully redoing your bachelor's and everything so that's super inspiring. yeah and like, you know actually at the time, that was definitely my take on it too. Um, I had applied actually to go to uh, a university in Australia to study marine biology and like do a master's degree. And I was like, you know, gonna leave software engineering. I was gonna try and do the science route. And then I found these jobs in ocean tech and I was like, oh my God, I can do both. Like, that's incredible. Um, and I think working in software gave me a lot of opportunity. It's, um, you know, you have the opportunity to make the money doing this kind of work. And so I was able to spend that money doing a lot of volunteering and internships. And that's kind of what inspired me to start Blue because I knew that as a student, I would not have had that kind of um, like financial opportunity. And so I want to be able to provide that to other people and let them experience doing ocean work um, without you know breaking the bank, so to speak. Mm. Um, so because it's really been a big part of how I've gotten here is to do that in field work. So you are in lockdown, you're watching all these documentaries and you decide to move to California. Where did you go? Because I know that I know that now you live in a pretty epic place. But is that where you moved to? Right <laughs> so when I first moved, I moved to Oceanside, California, which is just south of the um, Marine base there. My sister and her husband were working as Marines stationed in Southern California. And so I went to live with them for a couple of months. Um, at the time, that was when I had started my scuba certification. So I was diving uh, both in San Diego and in Laguna Beach and doing some boat dives, some shore dives, a good mix, as well as my courses. Um, so started with open water in Laguna and then I did my advanced course in La Jolla. Uh, and then 
I had happened to meet, I went on a dive boat out to Catalina Island, actually, and I happened to meet my instructor, Zach Araneta, who did my entire advanced through dive master training. And he was bringing a group out to Catalina, like by ferry to dive at the dive park there. And so I joined them. And while I was there, I was like, this feels like home. Like, I wasn't going to live with my sister forever. And so when I went to visit Catalina, I realized like this would be a really great way for me to build a community for Blue um, to dive a lot more because I was still really new and I knew I wanted to do professional diving and scientific diving. Um, and it's a small, beautiful island town. <laughs> so I started looking for places and I got super lucky, found an apartment within like a week, which is very wow. rare and to me kind of makes it feel like it was meant to be. Mm. And yeah, so I moved there January of 2022. So it's been almost two years now that I've lived on the island. You have to come yeah. visit. We're going to go diving. We're going to hang out. Lydia has to come to California ASAP. Um, <laughs> so we should match that it's all true. up. So <laughs> we have a little California trip and end up diving with Kayla on the island. That would be so cool. That would be great. And I'll show you guys yeah. the help forest there. It's incredible. Oh my God. Ooh. That brings me to the question of the day. <laughs> Something we if wanted can, to know. If you cannot answer this, well, I'm sh then don't feel bad, but I have a question of the day because I went to the beach yesterday and within yeah. 24 hours, there are, okay, the beach was beautiful, white sand, oh, and then 24 this. hours later, there is literally five feet tall piles of seaweed. Like the entire beach, it looks like a war zone. It's like covered <laughs> in seaweed and I'm like, how is that possible? So I don't know for sure, but my best guess is that um, in the end of the summer, that's when the waters are the warmest in Southern California. And that's what causes the kelp to start to break down. Um, so every year the kelp kind of goes through this transition period where it gets brittle and it starts to um, break apart. Like the leaves will come apart in the water column. Um, wow. And sometimes when that's happening, um, the, the bladders, so each kelp plant has little bladders that attach the leaves to the sites. And that's what keeps the kelp buoyant. So that's what helps it stand up in the water column. Um, when it gets warmer and the kelp starts to get weaker, that it, those bladders lose their buoyancy. And so it starts to lay down and it actually starts to get the stipes themselves get weaker. And if there's strong surge, it can actually pull the kelp plants up from the bottom. Um, totally natural at this point. Like sometimes that happens in storms and that's not as natural. Um, but at the end of the summer, we do see this happening more. So my best guess is that maybe that was happening like in the cove there, like maybe there was stronger surge over the weekend. Um, the kelp is most likely in that like weaker state. And then, you know, once it's ripped up, it'll just wash up onto shore. So that would be my best guess. <laughs> what is an ocean column? <laughs> an ocean column, <clears throat> like, uh, so I think you mean like the water column or? Oh, yeah. When you when you say ocean column or water column. If you are ever somewhere where there's a lot of kelp plants, the kelp, I mean, it, it's called a forest for a reason. Like if you're down on the bottom, you can actually look up and see these plants standing up. So it's kind of like you would see trees standing up, um, but trees have these really hard stumps. And so that makes perfect sense why it stands up. Um, but in the water column, you know, things are moving, it's water, so it's not going to be naturally standing. And the kelp itself is like not very hard, at least the um, giant kelp that we get in Southern California. There are some kelps that have harder, stronger stipes or stems. Um, but 
because of the way that the giant kelp is structured, it's a little bit looser and it wouldn't necessarily be standing straight up. So in the, when I say water column, like I'm thinking about it, if I'm diving on the seafloor, like I'm kind of closer to the ground, I'm gonna look up and see a whole bunch of water above me. And when I'm in kelp forest, I'll see a whole bunch of kelp standing up right all around me. And that's where the bladders that I was talking about, so those little air pockets that are attached to the stipe, that's what's actually holding it up in the water column. Wow. So they're kind of like little balloons that are helping the, ke- the kelp to stand up. That's yeah, so interesting. that's exactly I right. I feel like it looks exactly <laughs> what you just said. Like, it looks like the kelp kind of, like, fell apart and dried up, and now it's just in piles at the beach. Yeah. So I feel like that must be the reason, and that makes sense. Well... Tell us more about Blue. We want to hear everything. So, yes. How did it start? How did it, how did you come up with it? So this is a fun question, actually, because when I started like doing work in the ocean, I started all of this like self research, self education. I was also um, hoping to do more work to save the ocean, like reduce my impact. And so I started Blue originally because I was living on the East Coast, um, away from the ocean. So it's like a little harder for people to understand how using single-use plastics, for example, um, will have an impact on the ocean when you're not seeing it every day, like when you're not walking those beaches and finding, you know, the toothbrushes washed up in the sand. Um, And so I wanted to start to kind of share this with my community where I was growing up and where I was living at the time. And so that was how Blue originally came to be. It was mostly just a platform for me to post about all of the products that I was finding that I really liked to use that didn't have plastic. Um, I was also planning so and then I moved to California and I was planning to do beach cleanups and so that for probably like a year and a couple months like at least a full year that was the main focus of blue was to just spread awareness for the plastic pollution problems facing our ocean to kind of grow this sense of community and Mm -hmm. in that every small decision that you make has an impact and if we all are making those same small decisions like the collective impact will be larger And so I ran it like that for a little while. At the time, I was also, you know, doing a lot of volunteering. I was starting my dive training and I knew that I wanted to start to grow it a little bit more. I knew I wanted to do more with it. And there were a lot of ideas I had, a lot of people that I talked to in my network. Um, And eventually I came up with the idea um, to kind of shift Blue World's focus and to incorporate as a nonprofit, which we now are. We're a 501c3 in the United States, so yeah, we're actively working on our fundraising. Thank you. It's actually new, so we're really, really excited about it. Um, That's amazing. We, like, you know, it's all been self-funded. It's all been just mm. self-driven for a while, and so I'm really excited because now I have an awesome team. Um, Jesse Shelton and Olivia Hughes, they've joined me on the board, and together we're working on raising some money so that we can run a series of scientific diving expeditions next year. Um, The idea now with Blue is that our whole mission is to build a network of ocean change makers. And we hope that they all have a passion for conservation, for exploration and for science. Those are like our three main pillars. And we plan to do this through a number of things. The cleanups are always gonna be part of who we are. They're like the most wholesome events I've ever been a part of. And the other way is through these expeditions that I've been talking about. And in 2024, we're gonna launch some expeditions on Catalina Island. Um, Those will always run. Um, And so the idea is that with the start of this program, we're actually gonna do some long-term citizen science monitoring of the kelp forests on Catalina. Um, There's some restoration work happening in the north of California. 
Uh, there's different reasons for that. Like you're seeing some urchin barons take over the kelp forests, And so people are going out and removing the urchins. We're also starting to see in the South some invasive species like sargasm take over. And so people can go in and remove that as well to try and help the ecosystem revive. And so with all of that starting to happen, you know, we're not at the point yet where we have entire coral reefs bleaching, so to speak, like our kelp forests are still relatively healthy. They're still going through their normal processes. Um, but the climate's changing, the oceans are warming, and we know that we need to start paying attention before that stuff happens so Wait, that we can kind of to, target efforts. Just to understand, so a kelp forest can bleach too? Is that what you just said? No, sorry. Um, I was kind of comparing it to how oh, coral okay, reefs okay. bleach. Okay. Yeah, so when, no. you know, we're seeing a lot of that happen around the world, coral reefs are bleaching yeah. and entire reefs are dying. Um, right now, some kelp forests are dying for reasons like urchin barrens, which is when um, mm -hmm. sea urchins actually start to take over. Sea urchins will eat the kelp. And so when their predators oh. um, are overfished or when the, the environment isn't conducive to the predators living there anymore, the sea urchins can bloom and they'll start to eat more and more of the kelp. and. I actually, my first time diving on an urchin barren, I was like, this is the coolest different ecosystem ever. Like it looked like the moon because it was just all rocky. There's all these purple urchins everywhere. Oh, and I just thought you... it was like a new ecosystem. Are you saying ocean uh, urchin barren as in the land is barren? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, we, that's exactly we are right. not you know just to break it down for the non-scientists here this is saying yes, that the urchins are eating it it's, so that is barren yep. like the moon okay now i understand it's what you're saying crazy. i can share some photos it's wild Please. like the yes. difference and there's like almost no fish because of this like the habitat mm. has changed dramatically mostly there's just urchins everywhere eating all of the little algae and whatever kelp is left um and so anyways I want to start monitoring in Catalina Island before we get to that point because we don't have many of these on my island yet um, and we want to make sure that we're paying attention in case it starts to happen and so the expeditions are going to be twofold they're going to start this citizen science monitoring program we're going to do surveys that contribute to a number of different databases um, that are already monitoring different types of populations and species we're also going to be tracking fish abundance and marine debris around the island um, and it's also going to be a really great opportunity for us to provide ideally free in-field experience for people that have a passion in this or that want to build a career in this. We want this to kind of be the first step for anybody that wants to start working in the ocean or who's already working in the ocean and they just want more exposure. In the summertime, we have a population of giant black sea bass that come into the dive park. And there's this awesome group in um, UC Santa Barbara that is monitoring the populations of giant black sea bass there. And so the way that they do that is through photo identification. So they ask for any diver that sees one to take a photo of the side of this fish. There is a unique spot pattern on these fish that they can actually use to identify it. And so we're gonna go on a survey dive in search of those. We're gonna try and record any encounters that we have. Um, and obviously we're always gonna be diving against debris. So that's Patty Aware's mission is to anytime you go out you're going to bring a dive bag you're going to record any trash that you find and you're going to pull it out of the so we're going to go through and we're going to tally up however many garibaldi we see however many kelp bass we see we're going to record that on our slates and then afterwards we'll go back and analyze the data and we'll contribute it to these databases that are doing long-term monitoring of the ecosystems there 
And so it's going to be a small group. We're going to have four volunteers for each expedition. We'll have two hosts so that we have a good ratio of instructor to student. Um, and it's going to be super fun. We're going to be camping under the stars. We're going to be diving in the kelp forest and we'll be on a boat all day on Saturday, which just is fantastic when you're that on a boat amazing. off the coast of Catalina. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's like a rough idea and you can see it on our website. We have an expeditions page where it does detail out like a rough itinerary of what you can expect. Um, lots of learning, lots of diving. It should be a really cool weekend. Wow. What requirements do you need to join? So you just need to be certified. Um, you can be an open water diver. We're not going to require that you have any additional certifications. Um, actually, a little sneak peek. Ideally, eventually, we're going to create our own specialty certification so that you'll leave the weekend also getting certified as a scientific diver. Um, that's still in the works. So for now, you'll just learn. You'll just leave the weekend with a lot more experience. You'll be more comfortable in the water. I guess, Lydia, yeah. we got to get our certification going so we can go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. We can you also know, help you do that. <laughs> we should all, just all in one out on Catalina for a week. A whole in one trip. You know, just listening to you talk and listening to you explain the spots on the tops of the giant black sea bass and all of this make brings a lot of things to mind. There's a lot of things about your story that I think people will resonate with. One is this beautiful idea of bringing your expertise or your knowledge or some niche talent you have, in your case, being good at software, being good at data. As Sarah and I discussed, <laughs> maybe math and conversions are not our strong point. Okay, so kudos to you. Uh, bringing that knowledge and applying it to something that's really good for the earth and good for the world. I think a lot of people would love to find a way to use their their skills and apply it to a, a cause. So that's one element that I love. I also really love the element of fate and destiny that's sort of wrapped up in your story of, you know, you were following your passion and you ended up meeting people that led you along a certain road. And now it's mm -hmm. really cool that you're bringing those opportunities to other people who maybe they also have some background skills and something completely unrelated to the ocean, but maybe they watched yeah. my octopus teacher documentary and now they, <laughs> they want to do that. So my question for you is what would you say, I guess, to some of those people that maybe they are working in consulting or finance or they are teachers or what have you and they are wanting to be able to talk how you talk about the water columns and the kelp bladders and things like this. It's actually crazy how much knowledge you have considering that that's not what you studied your degree in. So I don't know, what would you, what would be your advice to those people? I actually would say two different things. Um, and the first one, like it sounds a little cheesy, but like seriously, do not be afraid to go for it. Like anything that you want to do is possible. Um, use the resources at your disposal, use your network. Um, you know, you'll have to, something that I had to do, especially early on is I spent a lot of my free time doing this. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that I just had a whole bunch of days that I could mm. spend studying like you would in school. Um, it was really like I'd get off of work and I would start to like do a course or I would start to read or I would like be doing diving on the weekends so that I could improve my skills there. Um, but it's doable. If you are passionate about it, the hard work is worth it. And it doesn't even feel like work. Um, it's so much fun. And there's so many excellent resources. Um, and that kind of leads me to my second point is 
um, if you are interested and you maybe have a non-traditional like career path that isn't necessarily related to the ocean right now, um, you should reach out to us because me and my team actually like specialize in that. So no matter what you do now, um, if you reach out, you know, we'll always be open to connecting you to different people. You could send us a resume. You could maybe join our team and work with us. You could join us on an expedition. Um, we really want to empower people to get more involved in the ocean because there's so much work to be done here. And the more people that care and the more people working to do that, it's just going to make all the difference. Like we need diversity and opinions. We need a huge audience of people that are passionate and that will actually make all of those small daily changes to make a big collective impact. Um, and so, yeah, I think go for it and send us a message because we'd love to work with you and hang out with you and dive with you. I mean, there you have it, folks. That if is... you are thinking of have, searching to an ocean career, this is the biggest sign that you'll ever get. Okay. Uh, that's amazing. It's, yeah. it's not too that late. Is... It is not too late. That is really inspiring. I feel like a lot of people will be inspired by this, us including. <laughs> <laughs> I know me and Sarah are like, should we become divers? Should we become yeah, citizen we? scientists? <laughs> ruin we're off should, to definitely. yeah honestly I, yeah and I'm i mean really that's the cool thing about what we do with our expeditions is that we're going to teach you how to become a citizen scientist and what that means is that you can do this anytime i love the idea of citizen science i love that blue world is working to get more people into <clears throat> it it's it's going to be so critical for people to get more involved in in data collection if we are going to tackle the issues especially with the ocean it's huge we need data collectors yeah. out there looking measuring yes. the kelp on the beach as sarah did earlier we're all about providing people with opportunities um, that they might not have otherwise had so like students and people who are passionate about it but maybe don't have the money to go volunteer for bigger programs um, by contributing to citizen science we're also helping those researchers that might not have a team that can go out and collect data themselves that's a lot of times why researchers will go the citizen science route is because they need more data they need data long term and the best way to get that is by asking the public for help. And so we're hoping to do that as well with the projects that we contribute to. This made me That's... have another question for you. <laughs> in in, yeah, in this world of getting into ocean careers, becoming citizen science divers and all of this, you mentioned some of the challenges. What do you think are the biggest challenges, barriers for people breaking into trying to get into this stuff and what have your biggest barriers and challenges been with starting blue world just so we can all be more aware of what they are so we can try and figure them out <laughs> yeah this is a great question actually um i think there's a number of things i think it's going to depend on the person um obviously like blue world's really interested in helping to lower the financial barrier that some people experience um both diving and marine science are expensive and, mm. you know, we want to be able to provide people with the opportunities to do that. Um, another barrier that I have experienced in the past is that scuba diving isn't for everybody. Um, sometimes there's health related reasons why you can't go diving. Um, sometimes it's um, not the most comfortable experience. You can get claustrophobic. So or, you know, there's also um, people that have fear of like open ocean, open water. So actually getting that certification if you aren't already a diver that can be a challenge as well um, it's worth it to work through it i will say and if there are any 
instructors that can teach you how to do it. You just need to make sure that you're honest with them and that you're working really hard with them to figure out how to make it work for yourself. So for example, um, we partner with a group called Scuba by Design on Catalina Island and they prioritize um, adaptive diving and specialized diving for each individual. So they really wanna make sure that both your first experience and every experience after that in the ocean is a good one. And Lisa is the one that runs this organization. She is gonna work with you every single day that it takes in order to get you that certification. So finding instructors like that, that are gonna take the time to teach you, to make sure that you're comfortable, to get you the experience that you need to get that certification, that's going to be a really good way to kind of get through that barrier because I know that is something that people experience sometimes. Personally, I definitely been in that situation of yeah getting claustrophobic underwater, but I also definitely mm-hmm. did not have an instructor. I just did it like the what it what do you call it discovery dives um, mm. in yeah, Thailand before, dive, and yeah. it was very much like let's just all go into the ocean. This dive spot is called the Shark Triangle, and I was just straight up hyperventilating i I would start to hyperventilate yeah Yeah, like breathing like super fast and just yeah my tank was empty in like 10 minutes i can't you know because i was just like okay there's sharks under me i don't even know what to do like i had to do the (laughs) training of what you do like when you lose your mouthpiece in the open ocean with sharks under me i was like this is not chill i am not okay right now everything you said right now just made me feel really comfortable that there's people out there and they will work through your fears with you because I feel like a lot of people especially people that grew up landlocked maybe have some sort of fear about the ocean I mean it's kind of yes. unnatural to breathe underwater so it's definitely a little crazy yeah. to first get I was used just to thinking little, about and, that yeah and I've seen it happen of people you know from like all walks of life I've seen have these like panicked moments when they get in the water. You can even be a really comfortable like swimmer. And sometimes like for whatever reason, just being on scuba is a very different experience and it doesn't necessarily jive with what you're used to. Um, But I don't like want any of this to discourage anybody. Like even if you are nervous, um, it's super possible and you just need to make sure that you're talking with your dive shop and your instructors. To wrap this up with two (laughs) fun questions. What is your favorite sea creatures? sea creature you've ever seen on a dive i love this question um i think my favorite sea creature that i've been diving with are sea lions um there is and this is like one of my favorite stories to tell there are a colony of sea lions in coronado islands in mexico so that's just south of the border um near san diego so you can actually take a dive boat out of san diego go over to those islands especially in like the next couple months like october november time frame um the sea lions there are actually having their pups and sea lion pups the cutest creatures you will ever see they like mimic you in the water so if you're like down there diving with them you do like one of these you like dance with them they'll actually do it back like they are so interested they don't understand what you are or who you are you're on scuba you're loud you're like there with them in their environment and there's so many of them they're so playful and like dancing in the ocean it's incredible there is um, no so way. definitely sea lions sounds yeah, like a little mermaid moment yeah sea lions it are really so is. sneaky and like they're so funny they're so cool And we even had, so when I did this dive, we did three different dives. So we went to a couple different spots. One of them is where most of the pups are. And the other one was just this beautiful little cove. And we were diving and this adult sea lion came over. And 
I'm not kidding you for like 25 minutes, the entire second half of the dive, the sea lion was like, it would swim off and then it would come back and it would like do a spin. And like, if you spin with it, it gets it like excited. It really engages the sea lion. And so it kept coming back. And even to the point where we did our safety stop and it's hanging out in the middle of the water column with us, we got up to the surface and the sea lions like breaching and like dancing at the top of the ocean with us. It was just so cool. They have such an awesome personality and they're like, I think one of the coolest creatures to interact with in the water. So that's for sure my favorite. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. That's so cute. Did you guys see yes. this video actually in San Diego that was the sea lion that kept hopping on people's longboards and they were surfing yes. and the sea lion was on the yes. board? Yes, I did and see that. Like, <laughs> that's so funny. I sometimes go to that surf spot and I was like hoping for it to pop up. And one time there was like a little one <laughs> popping up and like spinning in circles really fast. And I was like, maybe mm. that's it. But unfortunately, it never hopped on my board. Um, <laughs> You're like yeah, scooching back so, like, here, I'm, I'm making a face for you. <laughs> Come here, come here. <laughs> they actually are the underwater puppies or the puppies of the ocean. They're truly puppies. They're so fun to dive with. Love that. Well, that was a wonderful end to this episode. Well, Kayla, it's been wonderful talking with you and learning more about Blue World. I think it's an amazing thing that you're bringing awareness to, you know, helping people break into ocean conservation. It's important. I don't think people talk about enough that the ocean the issues of the ocean impact everyone but not everyone has the resources the ability the knowledge the background to be able to break into that field so i think it's a beautiful thing you're doing and thanks for sharing it with us today thank we you hope so you learned something new here. <laughs> um yeah guys yeah. thank you so much for having me it was wonderful i love what both of you guys do for the ocean i love talking about the ocean and about the network and the work that we're doing at blue um super excited for anybody listening um to hopefully join us either on the island or at some of our events on the mainland um yeah this is just the beginning so we're really looking forward to seeing where it all goes and thank Yay. you guys for having me it was awesome thank chatting you so this morning much for coming on well we'll hopefully talk yeah. soon in real life um and yes, thank you again thanks for joining us for another episode of ocean stories if you'd like to follow along on Instagram, you can find us at oceanstories underscore podcast for updates and behind the scenes. We'll also be sharing our ocean adventures on YouTube at Ocean Stories Podcast. If you like this episode, please show your support by leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Join us next Tuesday for more ocean stories.